Hi, friends. Welcome to Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. Today's episode is with Jason Michelli. Jason is an ordained elder in the Virginia Annual Conference. He's an author and one of the hosts of the podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. Jason and his wife live in Northern Virginia where he pastors a local congregation. They have two sons and two dogs. There's so much that I wanna say about this episode. It's so much that I appreciate about Jason, including his humor. But I wanted Jason on the podcast because I've appreciated the way that he thinks about theology and how we live out our faith in light of it. But as we were talking, Jason's willingness to be transparent about his journey and where he finds himself in the big conversations of the UMC, it was those things that were a gift that I was not expecting. I'm thankful that there are pastors in the United Methodist Church like Jason. This was a rich conversation for me personally, and I think you're going to really love it. So you know what to do. Grab that notebook, that choice beverage. Let's listen in to this interview with Jason Michelle. Jason Michelli, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Jason, I'm really grateful that you joined me on board the conference. Um, I sent you like the coldest of cold emails. Um, and I was just like, oh, we're just going to see if like I get a response. And you were gracious to hop on. And I'm just really excited. Um as a listener of Crackers and Grape Juice, uh, uh, a fan of what you and and Tier and Taylor are doing, um, have been doing, um, and in some respects even um, paying attention to that as I've been doing this. Um, well, just, you can't you, you can't leave out Tommy and Joanna, or they'll be pissed off. At you, okay, so. thank you, thank you, because <laughs> this is and this is why you're here to help me. Uh, make sure I name all of the great people at Crackers and Grape Juice. Uh, it's a great podcast. If you're not listening to it, get on board because it, it's always good. Uh, Jason, all I really know about you is that you are a United Methodist pastor of Virginia and that you are one of the hosts of Crackers and Grape Juice. Would love to know more, specifically how you became a United Methodist Christian, God's provenient grace in your life, um, bringing you into our church. So any and all of that, we'd love to hear about it. So you don't know any of that about me? No, no, I don't. I mean, a little bit. I know, I know, like, I don't know how some of these, like, bullet points fit into the, the actual constellation that is. So, so I, I mean, are you, are you really a listener of Crackers and Grape Juice if you don't know? Well, I know certain things. Again, I know bullet points. Me. I know bullet points. Okay, I have said that this is great. <laughs> so I would say, I mean, honestly, the best way to answer that question is that I am a Christian who is now also a pastor. Who? So I'm a Christian who ha happens to be United Methodist, and I'm a pastor who happens to be United Methodist. Um, and 
that's a function of the fact that, um, so I didn't grow up in the church at all, like at all. Um, like minus like a shotgun wedding, um, that my mm. uncle had when I was a kid where we're like, mm. you know, we like, you know, even as a little kid, I'm like, what, what are they doing? Why are they getting married? This is a terrible idea. Um, so that, that was like my, that was my only exposure to church and my, uh, immigrant Italian grandmother who had arms like a lineman and a mustache and like, you know, and a terrifying, terrifying life-size crucifix, uh, above the guest bed where I slept, uh, like that, that was my only religious exposure. Um, and then when I was uh, 16, 17, um, my mom announced out of the blue one evening, it was Christmas Eve, uh, that we were going to church. Uh, and that was like the proverbial record of my life, scratching um, off track. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like does, does not compute, does not compute. Um, and so we went that Christmas Eve and I was, um, uh, I think because uh, I grew up in a, a home of addiction and abuse um, that had made me cynical to an unhealthy degree. And so I think you know, going to church was my mom's uh, intervention. Um, so we went that Christmas Eve. I was an asshole about it. Um, and my mom was a nurse and so she worked every other weekend. And so after that Christmas Eve, we went every other Sunday. Um, and to some extent, like this, so it's, it's part ordinary and it's part mystical. Um, there's, you know, an extent to which, you know, a few months of, um, required church attendance kind of just took on me. Um, but then I had this encounter, um, where I remember one Sunday I went up for communion, um, and the person serving me the bread was no longer Steve Giacca. Um, (laughs) you know, what was Jesus? And, and I don't know how that I knew that. I just knew that I knew it. Uh, and it, and it scared the shit out of me. Um, yeah. But I think maybe I needed to be scared into being a Christian. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I became a Christian with uh, a convert's zeal, you know, at 17. And then shortly after that, I went to UVA for undergrad. And just on a lark, I signed up for a class um, called Elements of Christian Thought. Uh, that was being taught by David Bentley Hart when he was finishing up his PhD. And I didn't really understand anything he, he was saying. It just made me aware that um, the Christian tradition is deeper and wider than I had any prior conception of. Um, and I wanted to keep learning more. So, so um, it was like this perfect storm of, of personal, spiritual, mystical experience and kind of intellectual um, excitement kind of combining at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then I had a, a similar encounter in college, um, kind of being scared into pursuing ministry by Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, so, and, and, and so like, you know, I say I happen to be United Methodist. It's because um, the church for all that happened um, was a new church start. 
Um, and so I don't know that I was even aware that it was a Methodist church really until, you know, I was too far along the track to, to change horses. Um, and, yeah. and, and, the, and the pastor who w- w- was kind of then responsible for mentoring me, um, you know, he represented a tradition bigger than just our own. Um, I remember the, the first book he gave me was like Thomas Aquinas, you know, so. Wow. So you're at UVA, you're sitting under the, the, the leadership of David Bentley Hart, you're I had I had great tea. so it was like David Bentley Hart and John Milbank and Eugene Rogers uh, I, 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 it was um, and Judith Kovacs um, the religion department at UVA was a one and Peter Oaks and Vanessa Oaks two rabbis um, it was a wonderful experience um, and I met waiting tables in Charlottesville, I met Julian Hart, who had come from Yale to start the religion department there. Um, and I became fast friends with him and his wife in their final years. And they came to my wedding. And um, It was just a, and Julian had taught Stanley Harewas. And so I had this connection to like, you know, so like, it was just this wonderful place. Um, um, but yeah, uh, one, it was homecoming weekend in the fall and I was doing work in the stacks of Alderman Library. Um, and some stranger, um, again, like, and I, and I knew it was Jesus without, I don't know how I knew that, um, just out of the blue started talking to me about pursuing ministry um, and not, not needing to do the things, the, the alternatives that I thought I needed to do. Um, so yeah, so. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's I the I like to tell people that I know Jesus is so I, I know the resurrection is true because I've met him. Um, that really makes that makes mainline Christians like yeah, I met this uncomfortable, but um, yeah, I wouldn't be doing this otherwise because ministry is not at all. Uh, natural to my disposition. So you leave uh, UVA and head directly to seminary or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have no actual, actual real world skills. Um, can't, That's... can't fix a car. I can fix a, a decent meal, but um, yeah, I went, <laughs> uh, I went straight from, from undergrad to seminary. I, um, I went to Princeton Seminary because they gave me the most money, and that's where my teachers told me to go. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I didn't have any money, and the there was a small clergy killing Methodist church near campus that needed a pastor, and, and I was one of the few Methodist uh, students uh, at the school, and so um, I quickly became uh, a part time pastor of that church at the same time. And did you feel like Methodism, United Methodism specifically, 
just fit or this is just the option that made the most sense? What brought <laughs> you, what, what made you say yes to this particular denomination and expression of faith? Uh, well, <laughs> so um, if you have listened to my podcast, uh, and I, I know a little bit of, of what, <laughs> but there are a lot of people listening to this podcast have not listened to Crackers and Great. Oh, I know. Well. Yeah. Uh, uh, so thank you for humoring me. <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, so, I mean, if, if you've listened to me, you know, I'm not uh, a company person. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, I mean, yeah, in, uh, in all honesty, um, uh, so in college, I worshipped at an Episcopal church um, because I, there's something about United Methodism. Like we don't do university churches very well that I have hmm. I have experienced. Hmm. Um, and I just went to one recently and that it was not good either. Um, hmm. So I tried going to the Methodist church on campus at UVA and it was it was dreadful and um, not at all. It, it, it just. Um, so I guess my initial frustration was that I got into this because I thought it was about Jesus. Right. And you, you, you don't always get that impression from, from some of our churches. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was true. That, so that was true in college. So I, I worshiped in a Episcopal church instead. And so I thought about like, Oh, maybe I'll just switch over. Um, cause I liked I liked the liturgy. Um, and then uh, when I was in school, surrounded by Presbyterians, um, I fell in love with Karl Barth uh, in college and then definitely in seminary. And, and I thought about, um, well, I was like, I could be Presbyterian. Um, but uh, it was Julian Hart. It was Julian Hart, the aforementioned Julian Hart, uh, uh -huh. who convinced me that, um, that in, that United Methodism was a, uh, a broad enough tradition to accommodate um, various expressions. Um, so I just, so I stayed, you know? Um, so it's, it's, <laughs> so me and the Methodist church is more like a, a, a marriage that maybe like, isn't the perfect marriage, but you know, give it time and we'll learn to love one another. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, and, and now I'm at the place too, where I think um, the uh, seldom examined gift that Methodism brings is that, you know, on paper, at least we are sacramental evangelicals who care about the poor. Um, that doesn't appear to be the thing that we uh, identify as very often, but I, I do think historically, that's the contribution we have to make. Um, I'd love to hear that a little bit more. Okay. Um, well, I, I, so, good. No, I, uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm doing this long, I'm doing this long sermon series through the book of revelation. Um, I, I mostly do Lectio Continua. Um, you know, I, I find my preaching is better and people um, are thinking about the scriptures better if I'm in one book of the Bible at a time. Um, and so I just preached on the letter to the church in Laodicea in 
Revelation 3. Um, you know, who, who are lukewarm Christians, kind of meh on Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm, you know, I'm going to projectile vomit you out of my mouth. Um, and, in, and it didn't make it into the sermon, but in preparing for that sermon, I reread John Wesley's Almost Christian sermon. Mm-hmm. And I was and I was struck again that so much of the stuff we want to identify as Wesleyan, um, you know, his works of mercy, etc. Uh, those are the things he lists in that sermon as as like no, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that, mm-hmm. it's not that. Um, and so I think yeah, we have a tendency to lift up things and identify them as Wesleyan, um, and most often they fall into the pre-conversion experience of John Wesley, <laughs> not the yeah. post. Yeah. Um, you know, that like, it's like, well, uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's Luther's summary of the gospel from Paul in Romans and with Charles, it was Galatians, you know, that like, if it's, if it's that reformation message that started the Methodist movement, um, why is it we hear so little about that in United Methodism? And instead we hear, we hear connections made to a, di- a, a different Wesley that comports more with mainline liberal assumptions in America. <laughs> liberal theologically, not like in terms of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, um, um... And I'll be honest here, it is your way of sort of both articulating all of these different points, but also um, I feel like every time I've listened to your podcast, you are always like theology forward. Like it, it just like immediately points to like doctrine of justification. Like just, <laughs> just and, and, and I appreciate that. Do you, do you feel at home then in United Methodism? In, in- um, I think you know, I'd, you know, if I'd gone to Duke, I probably would have turned into a Presbyterian. Um, so I, I'm, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm contrary by nature, um, but but no, yeah, I, I, I am, I am. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I. I mm-hmm. there's this picture of you on your website of you sitting, I think doing a children's moment uh, in your congregation. And to me, it gives this image of being really on the ground, like (laughs) really bringing uh, the presence and word of Christ in a way that like is super accessible. But again, I listened to you um, on the podcast, and it's just all it's 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 way up here. I mean, just the names you've mentioned, you fell in love with, you know, Carl Bart. Like there are folks listening to this is like, are you gonna have Carl on the on the podcast as well, Derek? Like, <laughs> like so, I'm I'm wondering, like, do you feel like you are able to bridge from sort of the deeply theological and 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 I would say philosophical discussions around Christianity and how we think about church to being super accessible on the ground. Uh, do you feel like you're able to bridge that or is that like 
just two different functions of what it means to be Jason? Oh, I don't. Um, I mean, that's probably a question better asked to someone in my church. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I do. So I, you know, I learned. That's it. Well, I shouldn't name any other names. Uh, one of the things I've learned from Robert Jensen, the theologian mm-hmm. of blessed memory, uh, is that um, any person doing theology worth his or her salt needs to be able to distill what they're saying down such that a, a child could understand the point. Um, and so, I mean, I, I work at it. Um, I don't think anyone in post-Christian America is served by pastors who are theologically uncurious. Um, you know, I, I, I think people, people need to know that it's, I think people want to know that it's true and that Jesus is real. And part of that, part of that encounter is connecting them with a tradition um, that is big and old and global. Um, You know, especially like I found with like young people, like even if they don't understand what I'm saying, they need the assurance that whatever questions they're struggling with, um, generally almost always are questions that someone you know a thousand years ago in the church has already chewed on and written about um you know so so i think it's and that picture you mentioned on the church website um that's just a tradition i started you know so the the kids do a christmas pageant uh like the second or third sunday of every advent and it it's it's not long enough to be the whole service you know, so like, right. so you gotta like, yes, but it's, it's, it's a bad Sunday for a sermon. Cause so, so it's, you gotta stick something else in the service to make it feel worth people having gotten up and come to church that Sunday. Um, and so after they do the pageant, they all sit down on the stage. Uh, and I have this like spinning wheel from like, you know, a raffle mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we just lay, we just label it one through 14 or whatever it is. And the kids have come up with questions about, the season of Advent, the Christmas story. And I just answer their questions at random. Um, and so I think, so part of it is just to, to take their questions seriously too. And, and to, to model um, kind of a non-anxious presence um, with people's questions. Um, that's, that's more than you asked for, but I, I think, and part of it too is, you know, like you, you, you mentioned justification, like, um, I had this aha moment reading Jensen, you know, that, that, you know, justification really isn't like a doctrine per se. It's really just a rule of speech. Um, you know, that how, wh- however Christians speak Christian, we need to speak it in a way that elicits um, joy and gratitude. Oh. You know, oh. that like justification is meant to keep things in the register of good news. Um, and so, so it's not just doing theology for theology's sake. It's it's like making sure how do these different parts fit so that what I'm saying is gospel. Is this also 
th this this desire to not just do theology for theology's sake. Is this why maybe you didn't stay in the academy and become a professor like all of the professors, the theologians that nurtured you? Um, I mean, I think... Uh, uh, not to I, say that you can't do both, <laughs> but it, it does seem to me that you're you're not trying to speak to the high theology class of mainline Christianity as much as you're trying to, feels like you're trying to speak to a lot of us who are on the ground, needing yeah, more I think, grounding. I mean, theology is for proclamation. Um, it's not for the academy. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I was the TA for the black preaching class <laughs> at, at Princeton. Um, okay, again, and... <laughs> things I don't know about you. Come on, talk to me about this. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Cleo LaRue uh, took me under his wing. And so I, um, I made more money doing that than I did working at the church <laughs> that I worked at. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. Um, and so he, he really kind of pushed me to, to do a PhD in homiletics. Um, but I never really, um, I, I never really felt that that was something I needed or, or wanted to do. Um, and and I've done some teaching here and there, and it's fun to do that, just to engage a different set of people, a different you know, a different set of folks' questions and things like that. Um, so that it's a good discipline just to limber up. Um, but other than that, no, I've always thought that, um, yeah, I, the, uh, the church doesn't need more pastors um, leaving for the academy. You, you come through seminary, you TA for a black preaching course. Wow. Okay. Um, you're ordained in the UMC. Mm -hmm. And you're an author, and, and most of our pastors actually tend to at least have one book. Uh, most of our elders tend to at least have one book. But your titles for me are like, like I'm wondering like how they get past the publisher um, for some of them. But for, for one of them at least. But I... I, I my sense is that. Which one are you like, talking about? Well, I'm really looking at all three right now. Like, a quid without any quo, living in sin, and I'm mostly thinking about cancer. Is funny knowing that it. Funny to say that. But I, 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 I want to ask a little bit about cancer is funny specifically in a moment. But I'm curious about your process of getting to your titles. If that's you getting to your titles, or if that's editors getting you there like how do you how did you come up with the titles of your books um because again they are accessible they those titles are accessible and that is i don't know a lot of um methodist pastor theologians writing books that on the face look like laity can just go grab real quick um um yeah i don't i mean one of the things, so it's like a, a thing I secretly am proud of 
his, um, I, I come up with pretty good sermon titles, you know, after the mm. fact, you know, so like when yeah, I post, yeah, yeah. post the, you know, I don't, I don't have a good title always by Sunday, but, um, after the fact, so, uh, but cancer is funny. Uh, the title was given to me. Um, so that's like the, um, that's the part of publishing that people don't often understand is, is, um, the author has very little say over the title or cover of the book. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I didn't choose the title. It has offended a number of people. Um, and my wife absolutely loathes the cover. Um, but, uh, yeah, the titles I chose. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, um, and this is, you know, um, I, you know, it's, I think if anything's Methodist about me, maybe it's, it's that, um, you know, so like both Luther's Reformation and then the Wesleyan movement, like they're both really primarily preaching renewal movements. Um, and so there's nothing more Wesleyan than just trying to communicate in a way that gets people's attention. Jason, reading your bio, um, if I read it correctly, it says you have incurable cancer. Mm -hmm. And I know that that is connected to um, cancer is funny. Um, just curious you can speak a little bit about that and how that is also informing your journey as a follower, as a pastor, um, and even as a theologian. Um, yeah, I, um, so I have something called mantle cell lymphoma. Um, it's a cancer of my bone marrow. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it presented, um, in a bad way. Um, in 2014. Um, so I had, uh, yeah, emergency surgery and, uh, a year, a year of, of, um, intense chemotherapy and bone marrow, uh, stuff. Um, and in which, you know, at the beginning of that, um, <laughs> the odds weren't ever in my favor. <laughs> um, and so uh, that was a, uh, so, so cancer is funny is, is, um, so I, I took, I was on medical leave for a year. Um, and I didn't have much to do other than to write about, uh, what I was experiencing. And so the book, the book kind of, uh, narrates that year's experience, um, kind of personally and theologically. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so I, it's, it's kind of, it's theological, but it's irreverent, um, and real. Um, so I, I tried to, uh, I tried to make it, um, I, di I didn't want it to be sentimental or have this like veneer of Christianity such that it didn't feel human. Um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, so, um, so yeah, I came out of that, um, and I still do, you know, regular visits and blood work and maintenance chemo and those sorts of things, CT scans and all the rest of it. Um, but I feel fine. Um, it's just something that will never 
it, it will never be in remission. Um, and I'm already, it should have already come back by now. <laughs> so it hasn't, not by wood. Um, but yeah, so it's um, every day is Ash Wednesday. Mm. Thanks for your willingness to share that. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's just kind of, you know, <laughs> part of the deal with me now. Um, and in some ways it makes ministry easier and in some ways it makes it harder. Um, because people who, people who know that part of my story, uh, whenever they get sick, they immediately want to minimize their own, uh, their own situation or problems. Um, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> you're dying. <laughs> you don't need to minimize it. And let's not, let's not compare pain, you know, like that's, that's, yeah. that's not, that's not useful. Um, so anyway, it is what it is. And now I'm, you know, it, it depresses me that now I'm, I'm old enough that, you know, if I die, people aren't going to think it's tragic. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, back then it was like, oh, he was so young. I want to talk about crackers and grape juice. Um, this podcast, um, I have appreciated it for so many reasons. Um, I, I, I can't remember which episode was first for me, but I find myself listening to the podcast, you know, washing dishes or folding clothes, something. And um, the dry humor is always like, <laughs> just like disarming. Um, but also I've been grateful for the diversity of guests you've had. I mean, which is which is not a comment in a lot of people. <laughs> well, and some of this is it's what makes me weird uh in a lot of spaces too. But I mean, uh, you 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 got Trevin Wax um mm -hmm. and then Chris Green. Mm -hmm. And then you have these bishops, <laughs> Bishop Willimon, Bishop Carter, Bishop Harper Johnson, which that that that's its own sort of spectrum there. But then Brian Zond and it's not us, it's not this like right to left. I mean, it is, and I've just mentioned all the dudes and I apologize. Um, Caitlin Beatty has been on as well. I, it, it's this constellation of followers of Jesus. And so I'm just curious What's the inspiration for you all in the in in the the studio and the editing process in the in the decision making of who you're going to reach out to? Like, what's the inspiration for Crackers and Grape Juice, and and is there a hope to it? Or I mean, because there's a sense that these things are just fun and like it's something that you want to do, but is there a larger hope? Are you hoping to speak to a larger conversation? Um, and it, cause it's, I feel like it's doing that, but is that like your intent? Um, uh, so I, I think this relates to ministry and that like, um, so I've always been dubious of like long range planning kind of stuff because I found that, you know, 
truly, um, truly good ideas or callings, um, are there things that just kind of happen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, so, and this connects back to the cancer thing. And so, um, when I was on medical leave, uh, so, uh, I woke up, um, uh, so I woke up from emergency surgery and one of the first people, um, that was like sitting next to my bed was Tier Hardy. Um, and that, that year off of, uh, cause I, so I'd been at, uh, Aldersgate United Methodist Church for, I think like 12 years at that point. Um, we had started a, a satellite congregation. Um, so I was working at that. Um, so I was, I, you know, I was working real hard and I had two little kids. Uh, and so I, I had let my friendships kind of lie fallow, um, as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the podcast is really, it was just, uh, a, well, Hey, if we start a podcast, then I'll be forced to talk with you once a week. Um, so there was no plan behind it. Uh, other than just wanting to maintain uh, friendships. And so I do the podcast with a group of people now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's grown uh, in size. So Tier, Tier, I married Tier and his wife, and then he was my youth director for a while. Um, Taylor, mm. was, Taylor was a high school student um, when I first came to his church. Um, and now he's a, a colleague. Um, whose sister is married to my brother-in-law. Um, and so okay. Taylor started out, so Taylor started out listening to the podcast and he volunteered to edit the podcast and then he got mm-hmm. more involved. Um, Joanna does the podcast with us. Um, she's a professor, not a pastor. Um, I worked summers at a Methodist summer camp with her um, during college. So I've known her for forever. Um, Tommy, is our editor now. Um, she, she became a friend through a friend. She's the daughter of a friend and then she became a friend too. Um, and then, uh, there's, uh, the minion, David King doesn't do as much as he should with us. Um, but I've known him since he was six years old. Um, and then on Monday nights we do various book studies and classes and Todd, <clears throat> Todd Littleton and Josh Moneykaisen. Um, are like the newest members of the team. Um, they do Monday nights with us. And, and so we're all just friends. Um, mm. and, and there's no, there's no agenda or plan or ideological, um, goal other than just to get together and talk about, you know, things that matter. Wow. Um, and so, I, I mean, and, and I think there's um, there's a relative theological and political diversity to the people that we have on, I think. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Trevin and Chris are um, from a more traditional uh, wing of uh, the Christian church. Um, you know, and, and we've had, you know, people like David French, um, uh, on the podcast too, or more conservative politically. Um, 
And yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's important to, especially like in the climate that is mainline Christianity, it's very easy to draw lines um, between, you know, progressive and traditionalist and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, so to the extent that I have an agenda, it's, it's that I want to like, I want to make sure that we are still treating these people <laughs> at, like, you know, valid members of the body of Christ. Mm. Um, you know, we, mm. I think Methodists can have their own intramural debates um, on various issues of inclusion. And I think that's right. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that there's all these other um, bodies and traditions um, beyond United Methodism that, that are good and, and faithful and, and, and different than us. So Jason, this podcast is about the stories of United Methodist and the the ways that those stories are shaping our church. And I've used this point in our history as a way of kind of trying to get us to talk about where we're headed. And that point is the special session in 2019 where the traditional plan passed and mm-hmm. I'm, I was in the room for that. I was on the floor for that. I was that. above you. You were above me. I, I, gosh, I wish I could have like turned around and be like, Jason, what's happening? Um, we all experienced that moment and, and that the passage of the traditional plan differently across the connection. And so I've been asking my guests, like, what what was that for you when the traditional plan passed? You were in the room, um, and I, I imagine it hit you differently than it hit me. But I'm curious for you personally, as a pastor, as a theologian, even, um, what was your response to the passage of the traditional plan? Uh, <laughs> um, I think, uh, uh, sadness doesn't seem to capture it very well, but I don't know what other word to use. Um, and it's, you know, and <laughs> it's a good instance of, of why you need to separate the church as Jesus's body from the institution called United Methodism um, mm-hmm. that I thought, I thought it was um, an atrocious confirmation of all of my cynicism hmm. um, that, um, you know, I, so we were there for the podcast with press passes covering the event. So that was our, our role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I just, it was, um, it was sad to me how, um, you know, we have, 
we've created a denomination where the bishops uh, are powerless to lead. Um, you know, so you've got all of them sitting there, but they can't really do anything. Um, and then you have largely two lobby lobbying factions, caucus groups, talking past one another, um, saying things that we all could have scripted before we came to St. Louis, you know, so mm -hmm. none of it was, none of it was surprising or um, very few people, very few people, like Jesus was not really invited to the proceeding. So far as I remember, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of like uh, traditional and progressive law laying. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of gospel being um, offered. Um, and I just thought it was unfortunate because um, it, every church I've served, and I think probably most Methodist churches are, you know, a mix on, on these issues. Um, and every church I've served by and large um, for LGBTQ people in their congregations, they have, they have the ability to work through this on their own um, and to figure out gracious solutions. Um, and this, like the top down structure of our denomination um, takes that ability away from them um and that i find so i you know and so then so i just i, I find i find that frustrating that um the, like the structures of the denomination do not serve the local church instead it seems as though the local church exists to serve them mm. does that make sense no it, to it totally makes sense um As a theologian, do you have a take on what's happening to us, and 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 maybe what happened, but the the sort of the result of that over the last few years? Is there a theological angle that you use to frame? what has happened and what is happening in the United Methodist Church that, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, just helps it make sense uh, to you? I think, um, I don't know that I have an answer. I think one of, I mean, you know, we're not the Presbyterian Church or the Episcopal Church, right? Like we are attempting to be a global denomination and that that brings um, that brings challenges, and it brings um, sometimes cringy optics. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, it's it's problematic to see. You know, one of my memories it's it's problematic when when white folks who look like me from California are telling someone from Africa, <laughs> you know, like oh my gosh, like there's all kinds of colonial overtones to this now. You know. Um, so it's, it's, it's complicated. Um, and, and I think often, and I think we see this in our politics now too, thanks to your state. Um, oh, now, yeah. oh, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that like in the same way that like our politics now, like it's like 
people are obsessed with like the trans issue, but it feels like we're not really talking about trans issue. We're just using that as a way of getting at other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think similarly, I think in the Methodist church, um, the sexuality issue has just become a way to get at um, a larger theological divide. Um, and that has the unfortunate consequence of, of, you know, scapegoating LGBTQ people. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, I, I think uh, we had <clears throat> Emma Green from the Atlantic on the podcast around this time. And I think her insight was really good that in a internet social media age, we make a mistake in thinking that um, Wesleyan commitments are what people at something like General Conference hold in common, when in reality, um, people like Beth Moore and Tim Keller and Rick Warren and, you know, Pope Francis, like there are, um, there are global Christians with large platforms that on a day-to-day basis do more to shape the Christianity of people who show up at general conference. Hmm. Um, and that makes, and that makes finding consensus all the more difficult. Yeah. So I don't know that I answered your question. Um, you're you're answering it, um, and it's leading me to new questions. Um, I mean, so theologically, the way I would put it is that um, uh, just to give it like a real reformational distinction, um, I, I think as a denomination, we no longer know how to distinguish gospel from law, and I think that's true among traditionalists, and I think it's it's true among progressives. Um, and what I experienced at general conference, like I said, was just, uh, each, each side has its own version of law and it's just laying it down, preaching it to to other people. And we don't know, um, you know, as Fleming Rutledge would say, like, you know, the justification of the ungodly is, (laughs) that is the most inclusive statement (laughs) the church can make. And we see, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and unfortunately, this is an issue that's just thick with um, appropriate zeal and righteous anger, but also a lot of self-righteousness. Hmm. I'm happy that uh, it looks like we're getting to a point where we can no longer um, use this debate as a distraction from... Uh, other questions of, of how to be um, faithful in a in our you know, current cultural moment. I want to ask you a question about labels in a second, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm curious just based on some things I've heard you say in the last few minutes. Do you? reluctantly or not, identify more as a centrist? Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I, um, it, and that's part of my, I think, sadness at general conferences. Like, I don't feel like I belong in either group. Hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that's, um, and I, and I, and I worry 
um, this is something I do agree with Willimon about with this, that um, um, like it or not, it's like if we lose all the traditionalists, we also lose the people who most care about scripture. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> the, the, like, um, you know, like e each of these groups brings different fruit um, to the church and we can't just jettison them without thinking we're going to lose something. And, and also then what blinders do we put on, you mm -hmm. know? And mm -hmm. so, uh, so, so I don't really, I don't, centrist seems so like namby pamby. Um, um, I've always, you know, like I already say no to a lot of people who want to get married. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like I don't, and, 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 and that's part of the incoherence of the debate for me is that like, you know, I know for a fact that a whole lot of my colleagues just marry anyone who calls the church wanting to have a wedding, you know? And like, well, like once you do that, or if you're just baptizing anyone who wants to be baptized, like, like you've, you've, you've now ceded any right to have an opinion on this issue. Um, like you can't like, cause it's like, you know, like to just like the one benchmark you're going to make is someone's sexuality. Like that's incoherent. Um, and so, you know, so I, I like, no, not everyone can get married and like, no, not everyone can pursue ordination. Um, that's, that's already true. So like, what, like what's, what's the issue, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and if, if marriage and ministry are outworkings of baptism, then, uh, you can't deny them, uh, to someone who's called to them. Hmm. Just based on, you know, unless, um, unless you're going to stop baptizing infants because they might turn out to be gay one day, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so for me, so like, so yeah, I don't really, um, I don't really identify in any, in any of those groups, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, Yeah. I don't, yeah, it's not a very satisfying answer. I'm sorry. No, no it, it is. Uh, if I can follow it up and we don't necessarily need to keep this in the episode if this doesn't go a, in a productive direction. Would you identify yourself then as a an affirming pastor of queer folk or a welcoming pastor? No your relation what would you say is your relationship with lgbtq individuals who want to be who who feel a call to clergy orders or to uh individuals of the same gender who want to be married how how do you how do you how do you how what's your response to them i am <laughs> i am completely uninterested <laughs> in um, anything other than whether they're called to those things. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's just, um, uh, I mean, I'm disappointed that, so uh, one of my youth, the best youth minister I ever had went to Yale uh, to pursue ministry and then dropped out and then dropped out of the UMC when he came out of the closet. Um, and I regret that the church lost someone very good because of that. Um, and, but at the same time, um, yeah, I've got some 
very good queer folks in my congregation now who, who, who hate this whole issue because they're t- like, they don't want to be objectified when they come to church, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't, in the same way that I don't go through most of my daily life thinking about being a heterosexual, you know, <laughs> you know, that, mm-hmm. um, that, and so they're, 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 they're wearied from having to think about themselves in this way when they come to church, um, you know, or having this be the one space where they like, it's just like right in front of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, I don't think, uh, so yes, I think I'm affirming. Um, but I, I never want to make being affirming the reason for the church's existence. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, you know, yeah. You know, so, so it's like, kind of like, yeah, you're welcome. Let's move on. And, and like, you know, follow Jesus. Um, in the same way that, you know, after general conference, it was hard for me to <laughs> insist that no, like, no, we're not putting a rainbow flag on in front of the church because, mm-hmm. you know, that actually like it says some people are welcome. It also says Republicans don't come to church here. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. every symbol, every symbol draws lines. Um, and the cross should be the only one that we have hmm. is, is kind of how I think about it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, it's, and maybe that's, you know, it's difficult to think about these things in a, a pietistic tradition like Methodism where um, we, we don't know how to talk about sin, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and you're, mm-hmm. and if you're constantly, and if you're constantly talking about holiness, it's, it, it's easy to think of yourselves as, as, as that. Um, and, and I think that's my biggest frustration. I think on the traditionalist side is, is that like, it's the conversation always seems to start from a position of like, well, we're not sinners. Um, and now let's talk about this thing we've labeled sin. Um, mm. rather, rather than we, well, we're all the ungodly. <laughs> um, so let's just like, let's start from a, a, a place of, of, you know, mutual condemnation, uh, where the combination, you know, is, is God's commandments, not one mm-hmm. another. Um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Oh, um, no, you're making, you're making a ton of sense, Jason. I'm hearing you say, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm hearing you say that you long for a way of being church, a way of being possibly even United Methodist that almost demands that we really keep the table open for everyone. I heard you say you're not going to put the rainbow flag out because it draws a line and says a certain type of person might not be welcome here and you're not ready mm-hmm. to go there. Though you're you're ready to receive and affirm one group, you're not ready to let that affirmation close the door on the other group. If, if all we're doing as a church is perpetuating the cultural antagonisms that exist in the nation, we're not really following the spirit of Jesus. We're mm. following some other spirit. Um, and 
I'm less interested in, you know, these are stereotypes, but like, I'm, you know, I don't want a church where, uh, what, uh, a progressive NPR listening person wants to talk about welcoming, you know, Derek in the abstract when there is a traditional leaning person sharing the same pew with them that they haven't even bothered to have a conversation with, you know, that like, why don't you start with loving the actual people in your community first um, and then working your way out? Um, Cause I, you know, like, and that's like in my own church, like, it was like, you know, look, there's actual gay people here. Like you haven't even talked to them about this. Like, <laughs> why, don't, like why don't you start with like where they're at um, instead of these like macro conversations um so i mean i i just um i would like i I think the church needs to be um i mean that was our kind of tagline for general conference is you know that um we're all incompatible with christian teaching that's christian teaching i mean Mm. Hmm. You know, like if people just fucking read Romans, um, you know, instead mm-hmm. of like not just Romans one, but like the whole keep thing. reading, keep reading. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that if we just started from a place that um, apart from Christ alone, we're all kind of screwed. Um, hmm. You know, it's uh, like I, I wish. I, I wish it's just um, we're not starting from a like a position of the gospel, and that's my biggest frustration. And so I wish we could start from a place of, well, apart from the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we are all incompatible, and uh, the, you know the law accuses all of us um, totally. Um, and so we're all starting from, you know, like, uh, what's that line? I think it's Dave Zoll. Like, um, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but that doesn't stop, that doesn't stop us from measuring distances. You know, that, that, um, yeah. that I think we need, we need to stop measuring distances and realize we're all, um, equally far out. Mm. So I don't know if that makes any sense. No, totally does. The question I was going to ask you was, do you think these labels, progressive, centrist, traditionalist, are actually helpful or not? I think you already no. gave me my answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, And I think particularly the answer is no when your focus is at the local level. Mm-hmm. To, for, from your perspective, how has this latest season of dysfunction harmed the local church, in your opinion, if it has? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it was more damaging than COVID, certainly. Um, I had a huge swath of people in my congregation leave the church before I even got back from General Conference. Um, that it was, 
Um, and by and large, they were people who, you know, they weren't even necessarily aware that this wasn't like an issue in the denomination. And then they're reading about their denomination in the Washington Post. And they're like, Ugh, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and then it created, and so then for folks who didn't leave, it created a, um, an untenable impatience with, with change. Um, you know, that, you know, let's say, you know, Catholics talk about how the church thinks in centuries, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. and, and but that's not who we are as Americans. And so we had more, another group of folks, you know, who are more progressive on this, who just who wanted to change and, and just are incredibly impatient um, and kind of withholding their participation or giving until their, you know, their preferred version of the church appears, um, which is just um, both understandable and unreasonable. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then more traditional folks who are just like, why are we even talking about, you know, like this, like, you know, and so it just, um, it just made things difficult to, I guess it's, it's the, the most damage it does is that it, um, it, 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 it became a, a huge distraction when nobody and like, it, it's, we don't have like, it's, 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 um, dictated to us from beyond us. Hmm. And we have, we have very little say in the outcome. And yet it's now kind of the center the congregation's attention yeah um so a lot so a whole lot of energy a whole lot of energy spent with both sides feeling kind of powerless yeah so jason we've got a another general conference in parentheses finally um coming next April, May, 2024. I'm, I've, I've got a feeling you'll be, you'll be in the stands. Um, I hope not. I really, really hope not actually. Really? Yeah. Oh. I, I told, I told the others I didn't want to do it again. Um, that was, but it's going to be in like North Carolina. So it's not even far away. Yeah. So. so let me ask this question. Though you don't want to be there. Do you have any thoughts on what General Conference 24 needs to be about? Um, I, I mean, I think, it, it, like, how do we allow the church to um, be, how do we give the freedom for the church to muddle its way through this with the greatest degree of freedom possible? Mm. Um in a way that um, doesn't cast dispersions on like the church in Africa, um, you know? Uh, so I, I think, how, how do we find, um, the flexibility for the most localized expressions of the faith? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's a satisfying, I mean, 
what I dread is, um, uh, <laughs> what I dread is, okay, well, we're going to change the, the, you know, we come up with a decision to change the, the discipline. And then we wait another four years to figure out how to, uh, actualize that. And then we're gonna, like, and so it's a decade has gone by. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't get the sense that people in my congregation, uh, are going to wait that long. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, th and I think people younger than me won't understand <laughs> why we're talking about this for that length of time. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and so, but I can, and so, so I, yeah, I think, um, local regional flexibility, um, that avoids creating a denomination of, of like-minded people, mm -hmm. you know, cause like mm -hmm. that's, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's an unfair characterization, but like, I don't know that, you know, you can go to in, into just about any Episcopal church now. And like, there's not any real diversity of thought. <laughs> like, mm. um, and that's unfortunate. Um, and so I, I think um, there are people that I agree with on this issue, but maybe not for the right reasons. And there are people that I dis I disagree with on this issue. Um, but maybe, you know, for different reasons. So it's, it's, yeah. So I, I think, how do you welcome the gifts of those whom Jesus calls, um, without, um, demonizing people who bring different gifts? Do you have hope for the United Methodist Church? I have hope for the church. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have hope for the church. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that was helpful. I mean, you know, um, um, I've got, you know, the church I serve was a Methodist Episcopal Church, South Church, when it started. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and then it was the Methodist Episcopal Church, you know. So it's like, you know, the, the history of this church itself is is that these labels come and go, um, and we got folks buried out in the cemetery who identified with different versions of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, you know, it, like the promise is that hell will not prevail against the church, not the United Methodist Church. Um, and I've got some Jewish friends that I've made through the podcast that are a helpful reminder to me that um, a smaller scale isn't necessarily a bad thing. That it was, it was always kind of weird to think that everyone in America should be Christian. Um, and also kind of weird to think that, <laughs> you know, United Methodism should just be, you know, as big as Amazon or something. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, so who knows? Who knows what the future will hold? Jason Michelli, I, um, as I've said, I am grateful 
for the way you think about these things. I'm grateful for the ways that you hold, I can't even say it's intention, you hold together the need to be theologically uh, coherent, but only so that we can serve people well. You, you're not holding local church and theology intention. You're saying that they, they literally have to be the same thing. At least my experience with you is that. Um, so I just, I thank you for being willing to come on this podcast. And you gave me a lot of time today um, that I'm really grateful for. But I'm really grateful for your thoughts and your witness yeah. and uh, and your work. So thanks for joining me today, sir. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.